So if you were to ask a child what their father is like, you would hear different answers from different children, whether they're small children or even young adults. They would be possibly described with words as, my dad is harsh. Or maybe they would say, he's kind. Maybe another one would describe a father as angry, or he was rather reserved and quiet. Maybe some fathers would be described as driven, whereas others are described as relaxed. They, cooked, they kicked it back. They were really not too driven about much in life. Today we'll be looking at a few words that could describe a father. And by application, mothers and children as well. So don't believe that this is just going to be applicable to fathers. Uh, but it's mainly with them in view this morning. The first three that we are going to look at is what a father should not be. And some of us will be surprised by who these fathers are that are described. Uh, realize, fathers, as we take a look this morning that the fathers that you and I are going to read about in Scripture are typically fathers you would think you would be looking up to. But just as you and I do, they had their flaws and we do as well. The last three will be traits that we will look at of a father that should be strived for, things that we should try to emulate. There are, of course, more words that we could use to describe the traits of a father, but today we're choosing to look at six in total. So, number one, we're going to be looking at the tolerant father. Number two, the partial father. Number three, the rebellious father. Number four, the devoted father. Number five, the just father. And number six, the disciplined father. Let's start with number one, the tolerant father. We're going to be looking at a few different verses to really unpack this text regarding Eli and what he was like as a father with his own boys. We're going to start with verse, uh, chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, starting at verse 12, then we'll jump to 17, and then drop down to 22 through 25, and then we'll finish up later on with chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, starting with verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. Verse 17, therefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. And then in verse 22, it gives us kind of a, a backdrop to some of this. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his, fathers did, his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. What we have here is the story of a priest named Eli who raised two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that were to follow in his footsteps in ministering to the people of Israel in offering sacrifice. But the sad truth that we read here is that these men participated in the ministry but did not know God. What a sad statement. For someone to be in ministry but not know God. 
and disregarded all the particulars of offering sacrifice. They violated the calling of priest in two specific ways, especially that we see here in the text. One, they partook of whatever they wanted from the meat. That was not for them to decide. In fact, they were supposed to eat the portion designated to them by eating the thigh and the breast of the animal. That's what Scripture clearly stated. But these men were taking whatever they wanted as priests. And number two, which I think is stunning, they slept with the women who were serving near the tabernacle, completely violating the clear commandments of the Mosaic law. What's stunning is reading Eli's attempt to confront them as an old man and it falling on deaf ears, telling them that he had heard of all the wicked things they had done and that they were sinning against God. It makes you wonder what kind of relationship Eli really had with his sons, because they simply disregarded his warning as an old man. We see more details as to how it all came to be in chapter 3, which is where God speaks to Samuel as a young boy who would essentially take Eli's place as the spiritual leader in Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 3, verses 11 through 14, this is the Lord speaking to Samuel. It says, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows. Here's what it says, because his sons made themselves vile, and what does it say next? And he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. What's absolutely devastating here that we read is that Eli tolerated their evil, wicked behavior. He tolerated it. He didn't stop when they, he had a chance when they were younger with what they were practicing and what they were doing. Their bad example was not something he put a stop to. The reason they got to this point is because Eli is trying to regain his family's reputation as he's passing away, which is what a lot of fathers try to do. I've blown it this whole time. Didn't tell you what I really should have, and now as I'm about to go, I'm going to tell you what you should be doing. Man, this is an area of repentance that many fathers have. Where they have tolerated certain things in their children's lives at a younger age, and when they become a grandfather or an older man, as we see here in this text, they have a lot of regrets. Eli wanted to warn his sons as an old man, and to them, no thanks, Dad. I don't want to hear it. You tolerated what we did years ago. Now you're going to tell me that this is wrong? Unfortunately, it's too little too late. He tolerated it for too long, and his sons didn't take him seriously. So much practical applications found in this text. Fathers, what are you tolerating in your home today that you may regret later on? Are there things that you and I tolerate as fathers that we are going to regret later on? 
that we think, well, it's not really a big deal. Uh, there are things if you were to fast forward 10 to 15 years, you would be embarrassed that you tolerate it in your home when your children come back and do the same thing and even more. Especially when you see your grandchildren one day. You see what's even more unfortunate here, and, and we're not going to talk as much about this this morning, even Samuel, who God calls, didn't do a good job in raising his boys either. It's heartbreaking. We're not bringing this up, men, because it's just time to bash men. It's to have a reality check this morning. If this can happen to ministers of God, it can happen to any one of us. There comes a point to where it may be too late to warn because the damage is already done. Are there sins that you tolerate, men, in your own life that you would be embarrassed if your sons and daughters repeated? You see, the truth is our, our children see the real us at home. They see how we love our wives. They see how we talk to others. They see the frustrated call to customer service for a company that we really would want to not call, but their warranty didn't last long enough. You see, the truth is there are things that we all tolerate that ought not to be. And I'm asking you to have the Spirit tell you what that is in your home. It isn't just tolerant fathers that are a problem in today's society. Partial fathers are as well, those that show partiality. Number two, partial. This is going to be the longest text that we read regarding King David and his boys. 2 Samuel 13, 1 through 33. After this, Absalom, the son of David, had a lovely sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so distressed over his sister Tamar that he became sick, for she was a virgin. And it was improper for Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemiah, David's brother. Now Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, why are you, the king's son, becoming thinner day after day? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. So Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me food and prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat it from her hand. Then Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. And when the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let Tamar, my sister, come and make a couple of cakes for me in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. And David sent home to Tamar, saying, Now go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. Then she took, then she took flour and kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and placed them out before him, but he refused to eat. Then Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. And they all went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them to Amnon, her brother, in the bedroom. Now when she had brought them to him to eat, 
He took hold of her and said to her, Come lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not force me, for no such thing should be done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. And I, where could I take my shame? And as for you, you would be one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not heed her voice, and being stronger than she, he forced her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her exceedingly, so that the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Arise, be gone. So she said to him, No, indeed, this evil of sending me away is worse than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. Then he called the servant who attended him and said, Here, put this woman out away from me, and bolt the door behind her. Now when she had on a robe of many colors, for the king's virgin daughters wore such apparel, and his servant put her out and bolted the door behind her. Then Tamar put ashes on her head, and tore her robe of many colors that was on her, and laid her hand on her head, and went away crying bitterly. And Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this thing to heart. So Tamar remained desolate in her brother Absalom's house. But when King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And Absalom spoke to his brother Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he forced his sister Tamar. And it came to pass after two full years that Absalom had sheep shares in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim. So Absalom invited all the king's sons. Then Absalom came to the king and said, Kindly note your servant has sheep shares. Please let the king and his servants go with, her ser- with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, let us not all go now, lest we be a burden to you. Then he urged him, but he would not go. And he blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But Absalom urged him. So he let Amnon and all the king's son go with him. Now Absalom had commanded his servants, saying, Watch now when Amnon's heart is merry with wine. And when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then kill him. Do not be afraid. Have I not commanded you? Be courageous and valiant. So the servants of Absalom did to Amnon as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose, and each one got on his mule and fled. And it came to pass while they were on the way that news came to David, saying, Absalom has killed all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. So the king arose and tore his garments and lay on the ground, and all his servants stood by with their clothes torn. Then Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother answered and said, Let not my lord suppose that they have killed all the young men and the king's sons, for only Amnon is dead. For by the command of Absalom this has been determined from the day that he forced his sister Tamar. Now therefore let not my lord the king take the thing to his heart to think that all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. There's a lot in that narrative. What we read here is an absolutely heart-wrenching story of partiality that the father shows for some, one of his sons that had done wickedly. King David was most well, one of the most well-known characters of the Bible. 
And we always bring up the story of Bathsheba and the ways that he, he failed God during that time. He fails adultery with adultery with Bathsheba, has her husband murdered, covers it up, but in repentance still ends up marrying her, and out of that we have Solomon that is born. The unfortunate thing is, though, is David married multiple women, which only caused problems as a father, as you can imagine. Here in this chapter, we read about Amnon. This is David's firstborn from Ahinoam, and also Absalom, his third son from Micah, and Tamar, who was more than likely the younger sister to Absalom, same mother, stepsister of Amnon. Amnon, as many young men, had an infatuation for someone. This someone was his stepsister. Yes, I know, it's gross. He fakes being sick and asks for Tamar to come and cook him a meal on the advice of one of his friends. The unfortunate thing is he thinks he's in love when it's really just infatuation. He asks for everyone to leave and asks her to bring him food in the bedroom. As she gives him food and, and refuses, to lay with him, he forces himself on her and ends up raping her. After raping his sister, Amnon is angry and treats her like dirt, forcing her out. You're probably asking, what in the world does this have to do with fathers? Well, we're going to get to that in a moment here. Tamar is humiliated and tears her, tears her robe, puts ashes on her head, and it shows that she is in brokenness over this. She's been violated. Her brother Absalom comforts her and has her stay protected in his home. Let me ask you for a moment, why is she not staying with David? Why is the dad protecting her? Why is her brother protecting her? David hears about what happened and is angry, as any father would be. But that's all there is to his response. And I dare say that's all there is to a response that many fathers have when things that shouldn't be tolerated are tolerated and when they show partiality in the home. There was more than anger that should have happened here. David is the king. He had authority to take care of what Amnon did here with justice. He tolerated it and frankly showed partiality to his son. You can imagine the family dynamic when Absalom is seeing this. You see, everybody thinks of all the things later on when David has this tension with dad. What they don't realize is a lot of this is bred right here. When his own sister is raped and dad does nothing about it. Father's partiality is found in people like King David, and it can be found in us as well. When there are things that we should be taking care of and we let it slide, or we throw our little anger for one day, and it's more serious when, because there's abuse that occurred or something that should not have been tolerated, and we're just going, Shh, we won't talk about it. That's evil and wicked. And this was King David that did this. 
a man after God's own heart. David, as a king, should have exacted justice. But all we see is anger with no follow-through. You ever seen people that are angry but do nothing about it? Their kid did something wrong, they're angry for like 20 minutes, and that's it? There needs to be follow-through. And in this case, it's a very severe follow-through that should have happened. Possibly to the point of execution. Due to his partiality to his oldest son, David did not exact justice. There are a lot of things that should have been dealt with in the home, but may not be due to the partiality of a father who's been visibly upset about something, but refuses to step in and deal with the problem. Listen, men, it's okay to be upset about things, but if you don't have any follow-through, you stopped before you finished. There are a lot of things that people will tell us, hey, you need to take care of it. You're right, I need to do it. And if you stop, have you taken care of anything? A lot of men have cried crocodile tears, have showed anger towards things, and done no follow-through. This breeded contempt between David and Absalom to the point of Absalom taking into his own hands the situation two years later to take out his brother and exacting justice for his sister. David didn't protect his own daughter. I think you and I need to pause for a moment and realize this fact. Besides the fact that he's not taking care of what should have been with his son, he didn't protect his daughter. Absalom was the one that protected his sister. She found safety in his home. Absalom convinced his father to have his brothers come for a feast, including Amnon, and plotted with his servants to get Amnon drunk and then kill him. Now, fake news was passed back to David as if Absalom went and killed everybody, and he didn't do that. He was very particular who he took out. He took out Amnon. Fathers, your children will see when you show partiality in your judgment. When you let something slip for one that you never tolerated with the other, it'll be clear. They will see when you don't take care of things. And unfortunately, sometimes they may take it on themselves to take care of business, if you will. And I'm going to pause for a moment and make a statement that's going to probably shock some of you. But there are broken homes that if fathers actually stepped into their role as God expected them to, could have been put back together. But because fathers just let it go, didn't want to deal with it, tolerated it, showed partiality in many cases, that has never been restored. And what's even more devastating is it's many times left to the children to try to make amends. When fathers, God's called you to lead in those areas. It wasn't up to Tamar to make it right with her brother. Can I just pause and say that? David, who's their father, had every right and authority before God to take care of business here. What's amazing is parents want their children to be more mature than they are in these areas. Maybe David felt a little guilt because of what he did with Bathsheba, but there's a difference between adultery and rape. Can we agree?
What's the comfort and concern of a father for his daughter that is violated besides just getting angry over the situation doing nothing about it? Think of what Tamar sees from all of this. It's not enough to get angry or cry a few tears. There needs to be a just response without partiality when our children have done wrong. This severed the relationship of a father and a son further. Everybody talks about how Absalom wanted David's throne. Do you realize that this stuff starts here? Because dad didn't take care of things? Dad who's in charge didn't take care of things? David may have sinned with Bathsheba, but it was still his responsibility to take care of things as a father because his daughter was raped. Man, don't you ever dare cover up abuse that God tells you you have to deal with. Don't ever promise your kids something that you never want to follow through, especially with these kind of severe consequences that ought to be dealt with. Fathers, don't overlook the cry of children that see things that were left unaddressed years ago. There are so many broken homes for men and women whose fathers did not take care of things. They showed partiality. They didn't want to bring it up. They didn't want to deal with it. They left it to mom to deal with. And many times mom doesn't want to deal with it either. Your scars shouldn't stop you from helping others with theirs. Every one of us has scars. That should not stop you from helping someone else that has them as well. You may be the exact instrument God wants to use at that time when that person's hurting. And unfortunately, our children will go somewhere else for help if we don't help them. Parents, there are things our children may be exposed to that truly break them down, but if we're not going to do anything about it, we've failed them. If we're not going to address the things that have hurt them in their development, then we are not doing what God's called us to. What really hurts the most, though, is not when fathers not only tolerate or show partiality, but when they are outright rebellious in how they lead their families. Number three, rebellious, 2 Kings 21, 1 through 9. King Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. He raised up altars for Baal and made a wooden image, as Ahab king of Israel had done. And he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in, in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also, he made his son pass through the fire practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft, and consulted spiritists and mediums. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, 
to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image of Asherah that he had made in the house of which the Lord had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. And I will not make the feet of Israel wander any more from the land which I gave their fathers, only if they are careful to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they paid no attention. And Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Manasseh comes into power as king of Judah at the age of 12. And he doesn't just tolerate wickedness. He doesn't just show some partiality to how it operates in his nation. He openly promotes it. Here are just a few of the things Manasseh did as a king and also as a father. Number one, he cut Isaiah the prophet in half. History tells us that he is the man that ended up killing Isaiah. Number two, he undoes what Hezekiah does and builds the idol altars in the temple. He blasphemed the temple himself. He doesn't just tolerate others doing it, he promoted it himself. He promoted wickedness. Number three, he introduced occult practices into his family and the kingdom, sacrificing his own son in the fire. Any man that stands for abortion rights is essentially doing the same thing today. Went after and killed innocent people. In fact, God declares him more wicked than the Amorites that were around. And he came from a godly heritage. Although he was taken into captivity by the Assyrians and seemingly repented, he never completely undid the damage he had caused when his kingdom was restored. There are fathers that lead their own children into rebellion against God. They may have been around godly influences, but it isn't enough for them to just oppose what they were taught. They bring their own children into rebellion. I see this a lot in my generation today. People that grew up in church were taught the Word of God, rebel against the Word of God, and teach their children to rebel against the Word of God. One of the most heartbreaking things I see today are students that have gone to Christian schools and Christian colleges, brought up in Christian homes who no longer hold to the Christian worldview, but oppose it vehemently. They're teaching their own children rebellion against the things of God. You see, it's beyond pushing back against legalism that they grew up with. It's outright denying what God's Word teaches in faith and practice. You can push back against legalism and realize that God is still true, and every man is a liar. Fathers, you are to be the leader in your home. And the question becomes, are you going to be faithful and disciplined in the ways of God? Or will you lead your family in rebellion against God? Your children are looking up to you. What are they seeing? You see, we've looked at bad examples so far, but what are the things that a father should strive to be? We see things that should not be in our homes. Then what does it look like? What should be in our homes? Number four, devoted. Jeremiah 35, 12 through 16 
says this, Then came the Lord of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Will you not receive instructions to obey my words, says the Lord? The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, are performed. For to this day they, they drink none and obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way, amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear, nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, has performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. You see, when God is judging the nation of Israel, the people of Judah, he's calling them out for their tolerance of sin and outright rebellion against him. But there is a man that's mentioned here, Jonadab, that stands out, one that kept his family in order. This man was devoted to God even when others weren't. When the whole nation is following after false gods, Jonadab stands with his family. He was devoted to his God, refused to do what everyone else was doing. Don't give an excuse for why you tolerate sin in your home. Repent and don't tolerate it anymore. Make it a priority to walk upright before God as a man and lead your home, no matter what culture says, fathers. Don't wait for others to describe what Scripture clearly teaches already. Don't let others dissuade your walk with God. Believer, just because everyone else says it's okay doesn't mean God does. Do what he says. Obey him. When others try to influence your children in opposition to the ways of God, you stand in their way, fathers. You protect your family. You don't give them access. You don't let them in. You tell others, you got to come through me first before you try to attack my children. Just as Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that your cry? Are you saying, well, you know, there's not much we can do. Jesus is going to come back eventually. Eat, drink, and be merry. Live like the world. Men, it's more than just caring about their physical safety. You see, a lot of men are like, I'm going to protect my family. I've got my guns. You got to get beyond that. You got to protect them spiritually, emotionally. The world has gone insane. And you might be feeling that way, but this is what God's called you to. Take back what you've been giving away. Don't tolerate things you've let slip into your home. Things through media and other influences. Here's an important part, and I, and I want to really encourage you in this, men. Get around other men that want to walk with God, too. Don't be this lone ranger, tough guy. I got this. You're going to fail. Sometimes you've got to stand alone, as in this case. You might have to. 
But God's created a community of believers that we ought to be encouraging one another. Dads want to stand tall by themselves, and sometimes you may be the only one standing. But if there are other men walking with God, encourage them and be encouraged by them. It's much easier to deal with things in life when I've got another guy I can talk to and go, hey, you know what? Here's what's going on. What do you think? Oh, yeah, man, I'm dealing with the same struggle right now at home. We've got to work on this. It's a whole lot better than being like, I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm dealing with. I'm going to pretend everything's fine in my home. I've got no struggles at all. Kicking it with Jesus. Lying to myself and others. Speak the truth, then. Don't just be devoted. It's important to also be just in how you parent and lead. Number two, just. Colossians 3, 21 through 25. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. God doesn't show partiality in the way that he deals with us, just as he doesn't want us to show partiality as fathers. When there's partiality that is shown, there is discouragement or anger, as Ephesians says. So, so what are some practical ways that you can be a more just or impartial father? Number one, spend time with each of them as much as you can. Sometimes one child will need more attention than the other does happen. Number two, eat and pray together with all your children. Make it a point. Number three, minister and serve together with all your children. Um, now, obviously, an infant can only cry, sleep, and poop. That's all they can do. Wait till they're of age, right? But adjust with age. Number four, show interest in what each child likes. This is a hard one sometimes to do as a father. Because something that interests your kid, you're like, man, I'm bored with this. Like three minutes in, my dad probably drove him nuts that I talked about the Game Boy. Drove him nuts. I would talk for two hours. Number five, own your own sin as you would call them out for it. Parents, if, if you're upset that your kids are throwing a tantrum, uh, whatever you do, own it. Fathers, if you ever get angry in the home, own it. Let's not be like, well, you know, you may be this way. Well, you don't give your kids that same pass. Don't give yourself that one. Show grace at times. Teaching them a lesson. Not every time is a punishment required. Is God gracious to you? Oh, sure he is. I can't tell you the many times I've failed God and wondered the next morning why he let me wake up. Make sure your discipline and reward is as consistent as possible across the board. You won't always get this perfectly, but strive to pay attention to what you did last time for the other sibling that did the same thing. You're not always going to get it right, parents. No one's batting a thousand. Number seven, pay attention to each child's needs. Having different needs doesn't mean you are partial to meet each one's differently. 
What do I mean by that? One child may need more words of encouragement. The other one just needs more hugs. Doesn't mean one's more important than the other. Number eight. This is important. When dealing with sibling conflict, be sure to listen to both sides before making a judgment. Don't just go off the first one that tells you. They're not always right. Number nine, do your best to keep the standards as much as possible the same. And avoid double standards. Obviously, adjust some of this for age differences, right? Like you're not going to let your three-year-old go drive the car. Right? It's a little different. Adjust for age, for driving, bedtime, etc. And number 10, make only promises you plan to keep. When you fall and you fail, readily admit that and work to do what was promised. Just as, just as you want to see your children with a father that cares for them, they want to see whether you care for others as well. So your relationships with people outside the home matter too, fathers. Obviously, you should have a greater concern for your own children. That is biblical, by the way. You should care more about your family than other families. God is that same way. Did you know that? He cares for his own more than he loves the rest of the world that are not his own. But in the family unit, they should all be treated justly without partiality. You may have that child that you tend to find that you have a soft spot for. But do your best to treat them all justly, without partiality. And the last way that we can exemplify a good example in the home is when we ourselves are disciplined and have a standard of discipline in our home. Number six, disciplined. Ephesians 6.4 Proverbs 19, 18, and Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. Hebrews, Ephesians 6, 4. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Proverbs 19, 18. Chasten your son while there is hope, and do not set your heart on his destruction. And Hebrews 12, 5 through 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. You see, it's important to have discipline in the home because God himself disciplines his children. You and I take our cue from our Heavenly Father. In fact, I would say that as Scripture says in Proverbs, if you don't have discipline, you hate your children. You're essentially saying, what God says, I don't care for God is so particular in the book of Hebrews that he clearly states that if you're not disciplined, you aren't his. What you're essentially telling your children that you're not, they're not really your children if you don't care to discipline them. A parent that lets their kid do whatever they want doesn't really parent the way God wants. Don't blame culture for what God's called you to. Well, you know, the influences and this and that. Well, wait a second. If they're in your home and you're the parent, you're in charge. God is going to hold you accountable. More than the teachers that they're under the influence of. And if the teacher's a terrible one, you bring them under a teacher, that is going to be a good influence in their, in their lives. You're in charge. Fathers, your goal is not merely to pay the bills. 
making sure your kids are into a sports team. Your goal is to train and discipline your children in the ways of the Lord. Don't get those mixed up. Don't think, well, my kids accomplished all these things. If you didn't give them what God wanted, you missed it. That discipline is interchangeably called training or correction. That is why certain things a father ought to get right in his home should be done correctly in establishing discipline. We're going to run through these and finish this morning. Number one, spiritual discipline. Fathers, you should pick a good solid church to be a part of to raise your children. A good school environment where the children will flourish. Lead the children in prayer and Bible reading. Set those standards at home, God-honoring. And as a side note, don't worry what other parents are doing. You don't need to compare. You just need to do what God says. You will fail at times in these areas, men. But instead of throwing a self-pity party when you failed, get back up and get going. Take the reins back. Your wife and kids don't need stupid excuses. Own it and move on. There's a lot of people just wallowing self-pity. Oh, I've failed so many times. Get up! If the righteous man gets up seven times, he has to keep getting up and he falls again and gets back up. Do it! Your wife doesn't need an hour of long apology. She wants to see that you're taking it seriously. Number two, mental discipline. Fathers, you need to train your children how to think critically and not just to buy into whatever is sold out there in the public square. Teach your children to stretch themselves mentally by having someone that reads or listens to audiobooks or actual books, podcasts. Stretch their mind. Don't ask them to stretch their mind. Stretch yours. If you're like, ah, I'm not, I'm not, that's just not my thing. Work on it. Work on that. There are things that you're going to we- be weak in. Doesn't mean you shouldn't strengthen that. One reason we love the classical model of education here, it stretches their mind. When they feel overwhelmed in their thoughts, teach them to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Because the reality is, the mind is a powerful thing, and many times it's influenced by the wrong things. Overwhelms them. Number three, emotional discipline. Fathers, you should teach your children how to regulate their emotions. Wait, what? It says, don't provoke them to wrath. That means there are some things you could do as a father that could provoke your children to wrath. Make them internally angry or outwardly angry. Depends on which personality the kid is. That means, men, you need to keep your anger in check when stuff's going on. What are they seeing from you? You are teaching them. And this is one that some of you will understand if you play video games. If you watched how I used to play video games, you'd go, never let him play a game again. It's an area a lot of people need to learn to regulate their emotions. Maybe you don't get outright angry. Maybe you quietly get bitter. That's not any better, by the way. 
Maybe you're the guy that tucks and runs, right? Like, I don't want to get angry, and so I'm just going to be bitter now. That's not a good response either. Teach your children. When something is off between them and someone else, whether it's their mom, your wife, or someone else, teach your children how to respond properly. The best way is to show them by what you yourself do in practice. Because your children are not going to want the instruction when you're not doing it. Which is one of the reasons I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you have problems with other people in your life, your children pick up on that. They pick up on that. And it hurts them a lot more than you realize. Number four, physical discipline. Fathers, teach your children the importance of physical health by leading as an example. This is an area that's often ignored in the church, but actually affects other areas of your life. When you are not physically disciplined, you don't take care of yourself, you won't be disciplined mentally, spiritually, or emotionally many times, either. Try to love God and serve others well on two hours of sleep every night. See how that goes for you. It's an area that is ignored by so many in the church. Now, I'm not talking about the physical ailments you already may have. You may be older and have some things that are hard for you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in areas that you can control, are you showing them discipline in this area? By the way, Jesus took a nap in the boat. This would significantly boost other areas of our life sometimes and we don't realize it. If you got enough sleep, think of how much more energized you'd be for your children. If you didn't stay up and watch Netflix for three hours, think of how much more approachable you'd be the next day with other people. You see, the reason a lot of people come to church a little overwhelmed and exhausted is because Saturday night they didn't prioritize church the next day. I'm I'm going there because it's reality. I've done it myself. Remember, when disciples were tired, Jesus said the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Right? Physically, I want some sleep. Teach your children the vulnerabilities of not getting enough sleep. Because you are more susceptible to temptation when you're tired, and you know it, and I know it. You are more susceptible to outbursts of anger when you're exhausted. Or when you haven't eaten. Teach them that being unhealthy puts you in danger with your mind and emotions as well. And will directly affect their spiritual walk sometimes. So in closing, what are your traits, fathers? What are your traits? And I want you to ask that that question to yourself. Are you the tolerant type? Do you let anything go? You think it'll work out in the end. There's a lot of fathers that kind of have that wing it mentality in in parenthood. Yeah, it'll work itself out. God says it's all going to work out for good. I'm abusing that text, but let's do it. Number two, partial. Do you avoid some and only confront others in your home in what they should do? I hope and pray that none of us are rebellious. 
that we have a complete disregard over the things of God and leading others down that same path. Fathers, if this is you, repent. Are you devoted? Is your commitment to the things of God and His Word without a concern of what others think? God is my everything, and I strive to please Him as a father. Are you just? Do you make it a point to do right by those under your care? Now, you're not always going to get it right because you're not God who's perfect. But you strive to do what is right. You strive to do the best to be consistent. And lastly, are you disciplined? Are you one that others can look to for guidance when it counts? You are a disciplined person because you yourself have been disciplined as God, by God as a child. You understand what that looks like because you understand the discipline of God in your own life. Strive to be the last three, fathers. Watch out for the first three because they are quite dangerous, even for a man after God's own heart like King David. It's unfortunate, fathers, but so many today do not take these warnings in Scripture to heart. And I want us to have a good Father's Day. I want us to be encouraged by what we can do that God's called us to. But we should always learn from those that have done poorly. We should never ignore those warnings. In fact, Scripture says that those are examples for us. Because those are lessons God wants us to learn. May God bless all of us in what he's called us to. And fathers, may this be your Father's Day that God takes these things and applies them to your heart. That you become that man in areas that you've been weak in and areas that you're strong that you get even stronger for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for this reminder once